Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and you have made it through another week in 2021, which means we are here to help you get ready for your weekend. Coming up, we're going to hear about what this week's inauguration was like from someone who was there in real life. Carol Mosley-Brom, the first black woman to be elected to the U.S. Senate. But first, we're going to take a look back at the week that was with two excellent panelists. Joining me this week, we have Travel Anderson. They're an entertainment journalist. Travel, hi. Hello. And we have Jared Hill. He's a journalist and writer. Jared, welcome. Thank you for having me. So you two host the podcast Fantai Together, which you call a show all about the complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I want to talk about the week that was, which especially means, of course, the inauguration. But I'm curious, like, where y'all think we fall in sort of like the gray area spectrum these days. It feels to me like there's more of it than ever before. I don't know if that's because I'm older or just because, like, (laughs) pandemic and political insurrection or what. But I don't know. I was just curious what you two think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it's actually a good thing that we we see so much gray area now, right? I feel like we got used to just like wanting to like throw people away or throw things away, you know, the, the cancel culture of mm-hmm. it all. Um, and I think now we're at least willing to to recognize the fact that like some people at least, right, can be redeemed. Some things you can actually still love, even though they have some aspects that you'd rather not talk about. You know, I feel like, you know, times have changed beautifully in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I look at our show as being kind of like the the counter to cancel culture, if you will, right? Because like, everything is a little bit more complicated than I just hate that. And when we look at the world right now, we're kind of in this space of like, I don't know how much I believe in the American experiment anymore, but I also really want it to work because I don't want it to fail, right? Um, And I think we're in this space of like trying to figure out, I have all of these issues with something, how do I try to make that work? Uh, And that's, that's, Really, I think we feel that way in so many different areas, even if we're if we're not looking at politics, if we're looking at the ways that we look at our, our entertainment system, if we're looking at capitalism, if we're looking at race and gender and sexuality, there's so many different ways that we see that um, in our lives every day. I love that because I feel like it embraces the idea of like both being optimistic about something, but also being like adult enough to call it out when it's not perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think a perfect example of that on our show, we we had a conversation about Tyler Perry as like black folks and how we love the fact that he has this whole studio and he owns it all, right? And he's putting people to work, but right, some of the content is like, you know? <laughs> and like, we can hold both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Both of those things can be true for sure. 
Um, so obviously a big story from the week was the inauguration. Um, on heard about President that. Biden's, <laughs> you heard yeah, about it. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah. Um, on President Biden's first day in office alone, he enacted 17 executive orders reversing former President Trump's actions on issues ranging from climate change to immigration policy. The inauguration celebration itself still had a fair amount of pageantry, I think, especially given the circumstances. Um, so, Jarrett, you said you heard about it. Did you you watched? I assume. I think I probably put in like fifteen hours yesterday. Um, by the time <laughs> I was done, I was like, I can't watch another second, but I also don't want to turn it off. Um, but kind of one of the, as you were kind of going through the list of things that happened yesterday, yeah. if we're talking about the gray areas where it's complex and complicated, right? Uh-huh. I remember over the last four years, I continually thinking to myself, I, I hope that someone is keeping a running list of the things that have to be overturned, rescinded, you know, rejoined, whatever it is. Um, and like, you know, Joe Biden kind of hit the ground running with that list, right? But it also, like, if we back out, if we kind of look at it from a more 35,000-foot level, the reason I was saying, like, I don't know how much I believe in this American experiment anymore is because, like, all of those things are so, like, they can be shifted in a day, right? Yeah. And, like, what does that yeah. do to our international allies? What does that do to Indigenous folks who are concerned about their their livelihood? What does it do to our immigrants that are trying to come to this country? What does it do to Black people, you know, who are concerned about racial inequality and those kinds of things? And so it is a very, like, mixed bag of things when we're like, yes, I'm really excited that we got rid of the Muslim ban and that we are, you know, helping separated children find their parents. But I'm also concerned, like, what happens if we just go back in four years to Donald Trump again or to Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz, Jesus Christ, or like whatever, right? Like, <laughs> what do we do in those kinds of situations? It's 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 frustrating and confusing and, and you know, complicated. Of course. Well, and like that whiplash in and of itself can be traumatic, you know? So it's yeah. like, what do you do with that? So, Travel, what about you? Did you watch? So here's the thing. Jared told me that it came on at 9 a.m. here in L.A., <laughs> Okay. Uh-huh. And so I, my plan was I to wasn't tune- going to call you out about this. I was curious. I was like, <laughs> now what is he going to say? Huh? What, what you going to say? My plan was to turn it on at like 8.55 and snuggle in. And so I turned it on at 8.55 and JLo was sitting down. Okay. So I had missed so much already. Oh, no. um, but I was able to catch a part of, you know, Biden's actual swearing in and speech. Mm-hmm. It was cute or whatever, I guess. Uh, Jared is the more political one out of us. I pay no. attention. <laughs> Jared does not agree with that. I pay attention and all of that type of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of opinions about literally everything. Um, but yeah, I missed the inauguration for the most part. <laughs> Well, at least you caught Biden's speech, which I was curious to ask y'all about, because I don't know. I mean, I think, again, speaking of gray area, like he went hard on that unity message. And, you know, like, I don't know. I was just really curious how you two felt about, you know, the idea of reaching across the aisle, the idea of finding common ground when, I mean, barely two weeks ago, the Capitol was invaded. Yeah, I I feel like this has been one of my challenges as well. So like I've made no secret, Joe Biden was not my candidate. Um, I was born in the same hospital as Kamala Harris, right? Like, so we are both from the Bay Area. I love Kamala Harris, but she was not my candidate either. I didn't think she ran a great presidential campaign um, and I adore her. Um, And so when it came time for like this ticket, I was very excited that she would be vice president. 
Um, and my problem with Joe Biden is I can't tell how much of it is naivete and how much of it is what American presidents are supposed to say and do. And I think also, like, I don't know. I mean, the argument that he, his level of moderateness is what America needs, I think, is also a pretty like in this specific time is an interesting one. Yeah, I, I look at Joe Biden and think, I don't want what you're talking about, but I think the country might need it. And so it's it's a frustrating thing for me because I think that Joe Biden has this very rosy language about bipartisanship and reaching out across the aisles, but I don't think that's Black people's work. And so I wrote this, pe- this piece for uh, Revolt saying like, Black people are tired of trying to understand uh, Trump supporters, right? Like, Black and brown and marginalized people have spent our lives having to understand white people, right? And like we've spent so much time trying to code switch and assimilate and do this with our hair and speak that kind of way and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I'm tired of that. Like, I don't need to understand the Trump voter anymore. When has the Trump supporter ever tried to reach out to understand me? And so when we hear Joe Biden saying that, I, 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 it's coded to me. I hear it and I think like, that's white people's work. Right. Like that is what white people need to be doing. Um, But like but then I also feel like black folks are are able to contribute if and when they want to in that kind of work. But I don't think it's inherently ours. So it's it's difficult. It's really difficult. What what did you think, Travell? You know, I mean, I keep thinking back to so on our show this week, we talked about the election and the foolishness that happened at the Capitol um, with CNN political commentator Keith Boykin. Um, And one of the things that he pointed out from Biden's speech was this line about justice no longer being deferred. Um, And it struck me as interesting that a president of a country whose government foundation, right, is in white supremacy and anti-Blackness and in racism would use that position to say, right, that justice would no longer be deferred as we see so many activists and organizers trying to hold him accountable, trying to get us to, you know, this promised land of of liberation. Um, And so I think, you know, we're at the point where, you know, do we do we participate in the political economy in the ways that we're supposed to, not only as voters, but also potentially as, you know, mayors and governors and city local officials? Um, or do we just like allow y'all, quote unquote, to do what the heck y'all gonna do? Right. Because, you know, so much of, of I feel like being black in America, being marginalized in America, queer, trans, et cetera, uh, being a woman in America uh, in a lot of ways is about fitting into a system and to a world that wasn't made for you in the first place. Um, and how sometimes that makes us complicit in our oppression, complicit in our marginalization. Um, and so despite all of the, the the hope, right, that came out of the election, I'm really tired of the ways in which progressives are supposed to, you know, speak to everyone and bring everyone together when it's like literally two weeks ago, y'all wasn't trying to bring us together. Y'all wasn't trying to to, to bring our perspectives in. And so it's really frustrating, I think, to say the least. Yeah. 
So at the inauguration, we also got to hear from the youngest ever inaugural poet, 22-year-old Amanda Gorman. Yes. Uh, Travel, did you get a chance to catch that? I watched it, you know, after the fact. I was first, you know, taken aback by her yellow coat, you know, because Black people look great oh. in yellow. I don't know oh, if y'all know that. Glowed. We invented yellow, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's in the um, newsletter, if you, if you read the newsletter that we get every week. So. Well, thanks for yeah. updating me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You probably don't get it, which is fine. I don't. I don't. Um, so the update yeah. is nice. <laughs> she was amazing. I love um, how uh, someone noted that like before her her poem, she had like, I think like 40,000 something followers on Twitter. And by the end of it, she had like 200 something thousand like it. And I just hope I want I want so much for that young black girl. Um, I, I need us all to buy her books and her poems when they come out, all of that. I want the t-shirt, I want the meme art that goes <laughs> on the wall. I I was kind of shocked that she was 22. Like, because Wait. I mean, we know how black women age, I don't even have to get into that. But I thought <laughs> she was like 14. I was like, who is this child? Like, mm. she's amazing. And they were like 22, I was like, oh. She's a woman. Like, you but know Jared, I mean? like, we, we should also tell the people, Jared, that you are old. So <laughs> that would also give a little, a little you know, distance. So are, are you done? The people can't see that Jared is giving me a very horrible scowl right now. Yes, they can hear it, though. They can feel it. <laughs> um, I, I am a, a wonderful 35. Thank you. Oh, yeah, um, you too. All good. But, but no, as we, as we look at Amanda... <laughs> As we look at Amanda's story, I was just, I, I was so, her, her poem, I should say, I was just so moved. I was like, oh my God, what is going to be next for her? Because she has got something amazing coming for sure. Well, and just her poise, you know, like the way she moved her hands as she, it was just so beautiful. It was yeah. really incredible to Absolutely. watch. It was amazing. So speaking of memes, and in a lot of ways, maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum from Amanda and her poise. <laughs> I already know where this is going. <laughs> Do you want to set it up for us, Jarrett? <laughs> You have to be talking about Bernie Sanders. Sure it has am. to be. I, sure it, you're, I know that the way that you're laughing, it's not the memes about Michelle Obama no. uh, and, and this amazing outfit and how she killed the girl. It has to be about this Bernie Sanders sitting in that chair with it's his legs crossed. So funny. My favorite thing about it all was when people were like, he had like a manila envelope in his hand in one of the memes. Aaron's. And they're like, Bernie looks like he's also going to go pay the electric bill today and maybe go get a like, connection or something. Here. Like, what is happening? Like, Bernie just had this whole other look like, oh, we fucked today? Someone oh, has already God. built a uh, website where you can type in any address that's in Google Street View and it'll just superimpose Bernie on it. <laughs> that yeah, picture Bernie of Bernie Peter. in the folding chair. And it's just the internet is an amazing so place. good. <laughs> I love that. So good. <laughs> okay, before I let y'all go, I want to like completely shift gears here and talk about another story that I am concerned maybe got buried a little bit this week, which is about this goop vagina candle fiasco. Um, oh, I sent y'all a link about oh this God. yesterday. Did you know about it before then, or was it just in the white newsletter? <laughs> I, to be fair, I think because it, it wasn't in ours. Um, so I'm pretty sure it was only in the white newsletter. So so Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress, also has this company Goop, which is like an absurdly high end lifestyle brand. Um, she's had a lot of other like vagina adjacent products over the years. Apparently they made a candle 
And it's called This Smells Like My Vagina. And the idea is that it smells like Gwyneth's vagina. Um, apparently, it includes notes of geranium and bergamot and cedar, in case you were curious. Um, a London woman won one of these candles. And when she lit it, oh, also, it's a $75 candle. So this woman in London wins it. And she says when she lit it, it exploded and emitted huge flames with bits flying everywhere. <laughs> I mean, listen, if... It seems like Gwyneth's candle was having a very good time. (laughs) (laughs) A hot girl summer, if you will. (laughs) Travel Anderson and Jared Hill, hosts of the Fanti podcast that is F-A-N-T-I. Check them out. They are delightful. In just a minute, former U.S. Senator Carol Mosley Braun calls us from D.C. to tell us about what it was like to see the inauguration firsthand. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Obviously, as we've discussed, the big story of this week was the inauguration of a new president, Joe Biden. And lucky for us, we just happened to know someone who was at the inauguration, Carol Mosley Braun. In 1993, she became the very first black woman to serve as a United States senator. She represented the great state of Illinois, and she is with us now calling from her hotel in Washington, D.C. Ambassador Braun, welcome back to Nerdette. Thank you very much. I'm delighted and thank you for inviting me. Oh, my gosh. What a trip. The last time we talked was, I don't know, one or two days after the 2016 election. That feels like so long ago. It was because it was a lifetime ago. Thank goodness. But it's it was a lifetime ago, wasn't it? We're moving forward. So I'm really happy to be here for this inauguration. It's really fascinating to think about when we spoke four years ago, because the thing that I kind of kept reminding myself over the course of these last four years was the the Martin Luther King Jr. quote you shared with us about how the moral arc of the universe always veers towards justice. Yep. Yep. Do you think we're a little closer now than we were? Oh, absolutely. Oh, a lot closer. Uh, again, I've known Joe Biden since 1992. Uh, he even tore me in for my ambassadorship to New Zealand. I um, uh, he uh, I went to his son Bo's funeral. He and I have stayed in touch over the years. And quite frankly, in this last campaign, I worked hard for him. I think I did uh, 72 different interviews and conversations in support of his candidacy because, again, I work with him and I know him to be a person of real good character who wants to do the right thing for the American people. And so I have every confidence that he will be a stellar president and do us all proud. So how many inaugurations have you attended now? I think this makes third. Third. okay. Uh So obviously this one was different than ones you've been to in the past, I imagine, just given the fact of the pandemic and, you know, guests are socially distanced. There were thousands of National Guard members in attendance as well. 
I'm curious what the mood was like, how it might have compared to the other inaugurations you've been to. I've got to tell you, the mood was very different, but not in a bad way, necessarily. Hmm. Um, the, the, the place is, is an armed camp. Uh, you've got so many different layers and levels of law enforcement, everybody from the National Guard, and they're from all over the country, to the um, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, to the Secret mm-hmm. Service, to the Metropolitan Police, to the Capitol Police. So you've got lots and lots of law enforcement. You've got local law enforcement, and they just look like ordinary policemen. But then you've got these soldiers who are walking around with AR-15s and AK-47s, and um, uh, it's you know it's like an armed camp. It's and I've seen it in other parts of the world, but I've never I've never seen it here in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I'll tell you something. They were all wonderful and all very nice. In fact, two of the Secret Service agents, uh, when I get home, I write a thank you note about this. But they saved me because you can't get around because they've got these barriers and burns everywhere, mm-hmm. and so there's no traffic. And so um, we, I wound up walking 15 blocks in heels to try to get to, to get from the hotel to the Capitol. And when I thought I was just going to collapse, these two uh, Secret Service guys, it turned out they were. And they gave me a ride back in their Humvee or whatever the glorified <laughs> golf cart was. And so so, so they, they got me as close to the hotel as they could get because there were some, you know, there were so many different zones. Um, wow. Couldn't move around. Yeah, that was the one. That was one kind of pain in the neck part of this whole thing. But um, again, other than that, uh, it was really it was a great mood, and everybody is just so happy. Mm. I mean, I don't know how to explain it to you, but it's like it's like a weight has been lifted off the city and the people here, um, uh, and everybody's just optimistic and hopeful and prayerful for Joe and Kamala that they will be able to get our country back on track and restore, as Joe liked to say during the campaign, restore the soul of America. There were a lot of really lovely moments from the inauguration just watching on TV, but I'm curious for you actually there, was there any particular moment that you think you'll carry with you just remembering it? Absolutely. When Joe started to give, Joe Biden started to give his acceptance speech or his inauguration Mm -hmm. speech, in almost miraculous way, the sun came out. Hmm. And so you're sitting there in this very, I mean, frigid, almost like Chicago cold, right? So you're sitting there, uh, it's cold as all get out and, and kind of overcast, not really badly, but then all of a sudden he gets to the beginning of his speech and the sun breaks through the clouds. It was hmm. the most miraculous moment ever. And um, uh, while, you know, the rest of the ceremony was wonderful, I mean, even I mean I didn't uh, uh, I didn't hear all of Kamala's speech. I wish I could have because I you know that's my I call my little daughter right so <laughs> a little nothing. She's a, but I did hear her get swear, sworn in, and so um, it was just in a magnificent day uh, for that and made made walking fifteen blocks and heels worth there it. There you go. So wait though, I have to ask you: Was it really frigid? Because I actually looked it up. I was like, why are all these people so bundled up? And it said it was forty two degrees, Carol. <laughs> right. But there was wind. There was wind and it was really cold. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, and I don't know if it's the wind that did it, but whatever, it was freezing out there. So even as a Chicago person, you'd say that. Oh yeah. At one point I had on two pairs of gloves. <laughs> so you talked about how pleased you are that Joe Biden is president. Now, I want to talk about Kamala for a second. You just described her as your daughter. Yeah. I mean, you were the first black woman to serve as a U.S. senator. In 2017, Kamala was the second. Now she's the most powerful woman in American history. 
Right. What was it like for you to see that happen? Oh, I was immensely just delighted. And I think we should all celebrate the progress that this represents for our country. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a compliment and it's not just a good thing for Kamala Harris. Um, um, but it's really, it shows progress because culture precedes politics. And the culture has moved to the point that we now have a black Asian female as vice president of the United States. It's the most miraculous thing and wonderful thing. And I just hope, what I've said to people when asked about it, I said, I hope we get to the point where she can be treated uh, no different than people treat Mike Pence, if you will. That is say, because right now she's being scrutinized and will be scrutinized, every word, every nuance, every interpretations about what color hair she's, uh, eye shadow she's got on. Mm -hmm. And so the point is, the point is, you know, when you can treat her like you treat Mike Pence, then we'll know we've arrived. So does that mean when we're just allowed to be as frumpy as we want? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. When she can be when she can be frumpy and she can be grouchy and when she gets to the point she can be again like Mike Pence and it be okay, then as a country we'll know we have the culture has evolved. And that's what we're witnessing is the evolution of our culture uh, here in the United States. And I think that, that part that to me is the most significant part of her ascension to the vice presidency. Um, uh, yeah. that she, she, she has, she's moving forward. She stepped, you know, we're only a hundred years away from women getting the vote in the, in the United States. I mean, this is the, yeah. this is the, and the centennial of the, of the right to vote. And so to have a woman vice president, 100 years after women were given the right to vote, were basically enfranchised as citizens, um, is really profound, I think. And it's something I think every American should celebrate. Yeah. So last time you came on your Nerdette, as I mentioned, it was right after the presidential election in 2016. Another thing you said that really stuck with me was, I mean, you were adamant that we will get a woman president here in the United States. You said this is the greatest and most powerful country in the world. There's no reason that we haven't had a woman president. We will one day get it. Yeah. You think we're closer? That. Oh, we absolutely are closer. We are absolutely closer. I and mean, Kamala Harris starts off barring unforeseen, because you just never know what's going to happen tomorrow, even in this life. But <laughs> assuming for a moment that he does not run, she starts off as the natural choice of the Democratic Party to be the candidate for president. And I'm just hoping that we will have gotten there. I mean, little girls, I actually had somebody, and I was actually a little annoyed about it. I had somebody, one of my friends who lives in England, send me a picture of this little girl with a Kamala Harris t-shirt on and asked if I and would you were annoyed? it to her. I was annoyed because the, the, the email was, could you give this to Kamala Harris? It's like, uh, no. <laughs> I haven't answered. She's busy. I haven't answered his, uh, his WhatsApp text yet. But, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, so anyway, but yeah. So you've got little girls all over the world looking up yeah. to her and saying, you know, if she can do that, so can I. I can be president. Yeah. You know, this little girl's in English, so she can't be queen, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ambassador Braun, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Former U.S. Senator and Ambassador to New Zealand, Carol Mosley Braun. What a gem of a human. All right, that's it for today's show. But before I let you go, I want to just take a moment to remember author Ursula K. Le Guin. She died three years ago on January 22nd. 
And she was a real pioneer in her own right. Her books of speculative fiction are excellent. I want to leave you with this quote from Ursula. As great scientists have said, and as all children know, it is above all by the imagination that we achieve perception and compassion and hope. The show is produced by me along with Justin Ball. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.